Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. In many cases, the solutions to our business challenges can be found if we only ask the right questions. Our guest on this episode of Talking Business Now, Greg Buston, believes that today's great leaders can learn which questions to ask by studying history. He's written a book called How Leaders Decide, a timeless guide to making tough choices. In it, he presents 52 stories featuring pivotal decisions that previous leaders have made during some of the most pivotal moments in history. Those decisions had consequences for business, war, peace, sports, science, technology, government, and the arts, really across everything that touches our lives. At the end of each chapter, Buston offers leadership questions that the situation prompted, and readers are encouraged to consider them in the context of their own circumstances. Here's Greg on why it's so important to decide. One of the quotes that I have in the, the front of the book um, is from Amelia Earhart. The most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. I mean, she knew what the risks were, but she said, okay, I've done my homework and here's what is going to happen. FDR, another person that we profiled in the book, said, look, there are a lot of ways to move forward. There is only one way of standing still. And so I think he battled through the depression. His idea was, well, let's make a decision. Let's act. And if it doesn't work, then let's change it. Most of our decisions are not irreversible. And so moving forward, trying things is better than saying, okay, I'm going to sit here and study it and study it and study it. I mean, at some point, you've got to make the decision. Buston led the Dallas office of Edelman Worldwide to record levels of success before founding his own marketing management consultancy. So he's made plenty of tough decisions himself. He's helped leadership teams at multinational companies like Burger King, Sony, PepsiCo, Verizon, as well as small and medium-sized companies and helped them increase their effectiveness. He's delivered more than 500 keynotes and workshops on five continents. Greg's views about leadership have been published in the Wall Street Journal, Chief Executive, Fast Company, Forbes, Inc., Investors Business Daily, Leader to Leader, and many other major publications. How Leaders Decide is his fifth leadership book. We'll hear more from Greg Buston and the leadership lessons that today's leaders can learn from key decisions that have been made throughout history. business now with Greg Buston, the author of How Leaders Decide, a timeless guide to making tough choices. In this episode of Talking Business Now, Greg talks with us about this new book and the leadership lessons we can learn from some of the 52 insightful stories in the book. Welcome, Greg. Thanks, Kelly. Glad to be here. So the book, How Leaders Decide, you know, there's so many books written on leadership. You take a very different approach. You actually went out and looked at decisions that were made that really affected 
many of which we know the outcomes of already. They're part of history, and, and they really impacted history. And so why did you write the book, and why did you write it in this fashion? Well, two great questions, Kelly. One, I wrote it in this fashion because I think understanding how decisions get made is important for today's leaders. And by being able to look back, we actually see how those decisions played out. I wrote it in this fashion. These are someone who called these uh, little snackable chapters. They are designed to be read in about 10 minutes. The more exhaustive uh, descriptions of the history event, there are plenty of great books written around those. But what I find in the work that I do with leaders is if they can get a great story that's historically factual and they can get it in about 10 minutes and think about what it means to them, that's a, that's a great format for them. So that's how I approached it. And I think the other interesting thing about your format is that basically you go back and deconstruct. I don't know if that's the way you say it, but sometimes what ended up happening had nothing to do with the obvious. I, one of the examples that you give is the Titanic. And I bet there's not very many people who know that it was the decision to make the staircase larger that ultimately was the factor in the Titanic sinking. And so you go back and you really kind of take some of those things apart and trace it back, trace it back, trace it back, and really get to the core of that's what I suppose you are asking all of us as leaders to do as well. Well, it is. This isn't a book about anniversary dates, and you're exactly right. The example of the Titanic, it was a decision that was made 27 months earlier while the Titanic was being designed that was one of the key factors in what caused the boat that many thought was unsinkable to sink. And by, by making the changes in the staircase, it effectively lowered the watertight compartments, which meant that a lot more water rushed in a lot more quickly. And as a result, a lot of people died in the boat tank. When you're looking at these things, I'm really trying to get at an opportunity and, and create and invite leaders to think about how these things can, can actually show up in their lives today. So I'm wanting people to be, to be able to read at a very quick level about the event, and probably in reading about it, they will discover the story behind the story. They may be familiar with the event, but it's the story behind the story, like the example that you just used. And then what I want them to do is to say, okay, how is this relevant for me today? And so in each of the chapters, I pose three questions about how that event and the decisions made in the course of that event are relevant to today's leaders. You did very exhaustive research on this book. I think there were some 25,000 events that you studied. How did you pick the 52 events that you finally came up with? And oh, by the way, 52, I'm making a big assumption there that you're using these as a weekly lesson if somebody wanted to go through the book and work on something each week? Well, that's exactly right. So I'll take that first and then tell you how we got to the to yes. 52. So yes, the idea for this originally was as a journal, and I'm happy to say that uh, uh, my publisher, Sourcebooks, is planning a companion piece to this book later this fall, and it will be a journal where people can actually write their reflections as they go through these events uh, week to week. I think the thing that I've, I've heard thus far from people who bought the book is that the events are so interesting and the stories are so short that they can't help but read several 
at a sitting, which is very flattering that, you know, people, you know, once they get into it, they keep rolling. The idea originally was, hey, look, um, doing something daily might be, uh, you know, might be difficult. Doing something monthly didn't feel like the right cadence to me. And anyway, 52 seemed like a good a good number. How did I get there from 25,000? Well, I literally started by looking at what happened on each of the 365 days in a year over the course of thousands of years. And the difficulty, the difficulty was if you would say, well, hey, what about the decision to build the Great Wall in China? Or what about the decision to build the pyramids? The problem with that is I couldn't ever pin it down to an exact date. While I recognized that those were huge events, what I really looking for was to say, okay, well, what happened in five biggest events occurred in January? So in each case, I was looking at uh, the biggest, the first, the most impactful, the only things like that. And so it's organized by week to week to week. And so even though the events in January, for instance, uh, span hundreds of years from Julius Caesar to Alfred Nobel deciding to bequeath his estate to create the Nobel Prize, even though these events are separated by hundreds of years, I was able to pinpoint the day when the decision was made by that leader to do something that, that really, as I say in the book, it, it changed history's trajectory. What have you discovered? If you had to choose a couple of them that were most surprising to you, what would they be? Well, the most surprising uh, is the, um, the chapter that I ended up writing about Mary Edwards Walker. She is the only uh, female recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor. So out of 3,522 recipients. She is the only female. She was awarded um, that distinction for bravery. It's uh, the military's highest commendation for bravery. She's the only female that was awarded it, and she was awarded that for her role as a surgeon and actually also uh, as a spy for the Union. So that that happened during the, the Civil War. And I was just, you know, you think about brave men and women putting themselves in harm's way all the time, and yet she's still the only the only female Medal of Honor recipient. So that was a big surprise to me. That there haven't been more women. That there haven't been more women, because mm-hmm. I, they have been around. I mean, the story of Mary Edwards Walker is that she literally begged the presidents and generals to allow her to go onto the battlefield and be a surgeon. She was recognized as a surgeon. She had received her degree from Syracuse, and she was recognized as a surgeon, and they were they gave all these excuses why it, it, it couldn't be done. I think the real reason was because of her gender, and yet she persisted. Hers is a story of persistence. And, and many of these folks, you know, theirs is a story of persistence. But that couldn't be the lesson or it couldn't be the question for, for each of the 52 chapters. And so the, the question in, in the case of Mary Edwards Walker is, hey, in your life today as a leader, where might you be playing favorites? You know, that's that's the mm-hmm. question. Because if you've got someone who's who's accomplished in raising their hand and saying, I've got a better way, I'm happy to help, um, and, and yet you're creating all these reasons why someone can or cannot do something, the question with Mary Edwards Walker was um, what, what I just said. There's another one which says, what if you didn't care who got the credit? 
you know, I wonder what that would look like in your organization. So anyway, that's that was a big surprise for me. And those are a couple of the lessons that you take out of this. I mean, certainly she was persistent. Certainly she was accomplished. Um, and, and she fought through, um, you know, all kinds of stereotypes and policies in order to serve her country. Talk to us about one of your more recent favorites that maybe some people are more familiar with. Well, Vince Lombardi is a recent favorite, and the reason that he's a favorite is because I think if you're a leader, you're a coach. And the key about Lombardi was not just that he won, it's who he won with. And so when he took over the team, uh, the team the prior year had, had won only one game, lost 10, and tied one. And Lombardi came in and literally, with the same players, turned the team around. And so on on that losing team, there were six future Hall of Famers Mm. and five perennial All-Pro players. So the question with Lombardi is, first, it's how bad must things get before you decide to change, right? Because Mm. that was where they found themselves in a really tough spot. The coaching question is, who on your team is waiting for you to help them bring out their best because that's what that's what coaches do and that's what Lombardi did. And I think that's relevant to uh, today's business leaders because we should be coaching talent. We should be developing uh, people. That's one of the key roles of any leader is to, to coach and, and mentor and develop. And so Lombardi not only won games and ultimately won so many games that he had, you know, the, the, the football sports highest trophy named for him. It's how he did it. And, and you might question, you know, some of the ways that he went about doing those in the late 50s and the, in the early 60s. And yet I do believe that, that people definitely appreciated the fact that he knew what he wanted. He knew what he stood for. And, and he loved his players. He might have been really hard on them, but he was hard on them to help them get what they all said they wanted, which was to win a championship. And I think that's what the best coaches do. I think that you can take that kind of coaching if you know that there is, is care behind the challenge. And, and certainly that was the case with Lombardi. After studying all of these people and all of these different decisions that have been made and their impact, you know, what they led to, what have you observed are some of the most commonly occurring decision-making mistakes? First of all, let's go to the positive, and then we'll talk about the negative. I think positive is that, is that leaders operate from a set of core values, and so that ends up being their North Star or their compass. So they are grounded in a terrific set of, of core values, and they know very clearly what they want. When you look at some of the mistakes that, that are made, Custer is in there, his ambition, his ego got in the way, and we all know how that, that ended. And his scouts had come to him and said, um, the enemy, our adversary, there are more of them than we have bullets. And he basically said, nonsense, we're going we're gonna to move forward. And so I think I think leaders make a mistake when they let their ego get in the way. I think they make a mistake when they hold people back, the double standards that we talked about with Mary Edwards Walker. Uh, I think that when you draw your circle too closely and you're only getting perspective from from people who look like you, sound like you, think like you, 
I, I think that you shut out a lot of other opportunities to think about um, ways to move forward. I think failing to make a decision is actually a decision to do nothing. Right. So you may think that, okay, I'm just going to pass on this for a while, but what you're effectively saying is, I'm deciding not to do nothing, and when that happens, then you are more likely to have the events controlling you than than saying, okay, what are our options, what's the best option, and, and how do we move forward from that? That was really the lesson that, that John F. Kennedy learned. He, he had suffered a humiliating disaster with the Bay of Pigs um, in, invasion, and when he was faced with the Cuban Missile Crisis, he learned from those mistakes, and, and uh, among the things that he did was he, he actually cultivated dissenting opinion. He wanted other points of view. He wanted to, to widen the circle so that other people could come in and provide fresh thinking. He, he asked lots of questions. Um, he even left the room on, on occasion so that people could say what needed to be said without posturing in front of him. And so I think all of these kinds of things, when, when you look at something disastrous like the Bay of Pigs, and in in that you look at the, the outcome where, where Kennedy averted nuclear war, you say, okay, those, those are things that today's leaders can learn from. So I think, I think it's important to, to shine a light on, on the positives, and, and there are a lot of those in the book. Um, we shine a light on, on some of the negatives as, as well, because I think they can be instructional for us. One of the questions that comes up a lot of times, I mean, and I, I've seen it in, in my own career, something that happens over and over again, is that you have a leader who does make a decision, but then you see waffling, I guess is a word you could use. You see waffling after they make that decision. You start to see the doubt creep in as obstacles start to get in the way of executing that decision. Or you have the naysayers that come out in full force and start wearing that leader down for making that decision. How do do you get through that as a leader? Well, there, there are questions that leaders should be asking and answering before they make a decision. And in the first question that needs to be asked are what are the facts and what are we trying to accomplish those are the first two questions that you should look at and then and then deciding who's going to be involved in the decision making process looking at all the options and then make the decision and don't make it twice um one of the quotes that i have in the in in the front of the book um is from amelia Earhart: the most difficult thing is the decision to act the rest merely tenacity I mean, she knew what the risks were, but, but she said, okay, I've done my homework, and here's what is going to happen. FDR, another person that we profiled in, in, in the book, um, said, look, there, there are a lot of ways to move forward. There is only one way of standing still. And so I think that he battled through the Depression, and his idea was, well, let's, let's make a decision. Let's act. And if it doesn't work, then let's change it. Most of our decisions are not irreversible. And so moving forward, trying things is better than saying, okay, I'm going to sit here and study it and study it and study it. I mean, at some point, you've got to make the decision and then you can say, okay, well, that was the best decision that we could make at that, at that time. If the facts have changed, if the situation has changed, if we're getting an outcome that we didn't like, well, let's adjust and make another better decision this time. But I, but I think waffling sends a really 
tough signal to your to your troops because especially during times of change or adversity, um, they're they're looking for you to be strong. And by strong, I don't mean to say that you're not going to say, look, this may not work out like we want it to work out, but given everything that we know today, this is the best decision. Let's go give it our best, and then we'll rely or come up with a different decision after we see how that works. I think people want to be encouraged, and I think part of leadership is creating that, that energy, not false energy, but the energy that makes things happen. What should leaders be talking now about in 2019? Well, I think the things that they should be talking about are the same things that they should be deciding, and that, and that is we've had a, an unprecedented run economically for, for 10 years. The leaders that I am working with, and I work with about 50 leaders month to month to month and in all kinds of industries, and they are very watchful of running their business uh, as though a recession is coming. And so what they are doing is, is making sure that they, they are taking care of their people, they're taking care of their customers, and those are the things that they ought to be talking about right now with their team. It's the things that they ought to be thinking about and the things that they ought to be doing and the decisions that they ought to be making, in my view, are, are saying, okay, let's make sure that we've got everything uh, running as, as best as we, as we can, that we've got a good cash supply, that we've got uh, high levels of satisfaction with our customers. And in this tough talent market, we are, we are holding on and developing our best people. As far as your book, where can we get a copy of it? How Leaders Decide, A Timeless Guide to Making Tough Choices. It's available in uh, three formats. Uh, there's an audio uh, uh, format, uh, a digital format, and a hardback uh, format. Uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, The Independence. Uh, it's, it's available, as they say, wherever fine books are sold. And you've got a website that people can go visit, and you have some resources that people can contact you to uh, find out about. What is your website? The website is www.bustinboyustin.com, and actually you can go to the website and you can download for free five of the lost chapters, we're calling them, that didn't make it in to the book. So you can, you can read those, you can get a flavor for how the book is, is put together. Uh, everything from uh, Michelangelo and Joan of Arc to uh, how did April Fool's Day come to be and what's one of the greatest uh, April Fool's jokes of, of all time. So there, there are five of those lost chapters that you can download for free. There are lots of, uh, as you say, resources, articles, blogs, uh, questions, exercises, all there for the taking for free. And that's at Bustin.com, B-U-S-T-I-N.com. Greg, it's been a pleasure talking with you this morning, and uh, best of luck on your book. Thanks very much, Kelly. I appreciate you having me on today. Absolutely. Greg Bustin, the author of How Leaders Decide, A Timeless Guide to Making Tough Choices. And thank you for tuning in today. Please be sure to join us for the next episode of Talking Business Now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.